Hello and welcome everybody to According to Andrew number 118, America versus China, the Napoleonic Era Returns. So what do I mean by that? So a lot of people look at uh, the America-Chinese <clears throat> conflict that is currently kind of heating up and, and developing, and they look at it as, oh, well, this is the return of the Cold War. And I think it'll be different, and I think it's going to look a lot more like the Napoleonic um, Era conflict between um, Britain and Russia, or Britain and France, than it will... Uh, the Cold War. The Cold War was a lot of proxy wars where uh, there was basically a battle of influence of like, okay, who gets influenced this and that, and uh, there was no official declaration of war between the two countries, and I think that'll be different between uh, America and China here, where there will be an official declaration of war, and all that stuff will kick off, but they, uh, they won't really be able to do anything to each other, and that's, I think, one of the the key things that differentiates this time around versus the Cold War is they, uh, <clears throat> they're basically going to declare war on each other and then they're going to stare at each other because neither can really project onto the other. Uh, the Americans don't have the troops to be able to really land troops uh, in China, and <clears throat> China doesn't really have the Navy to get their troops across the Pacific to America. They do have some, America does have some staging areas in like Japan and maybe India, but that's where I think it, it's got some similarities, is <clears throat> um, America will be the rulers of the seas, and China will be the rulers of the land, uh, especially when you consider Russia, and they have an alliance there, and so they already control most of the Eurasian la <clears throat> landmass. Um, one of the, and so there's going to be like coalitions of Groups that are, are fighting each other, like India and, Japan, and China, might be going at each other. I know there's some changes there in terms of the relations, but they're, they're, China and India have kind of always been um, hot and cold in terms of that, where they kind of go back and forth <clears throat> as to whether or not they like each other at any given moment. And so I could see India ending up in America's sphere of influence, considering how things are going in Ukraine. Maybe, maybe not in terms of... Um, which side they end up falling on, uh, it is a toss-up at this moment, but uh, we'll get into what I wrote here. Uh, this, <clears throat> the Sino-American War is going to look a lot like the Napoleonic Wars between France and Britain. Britain was the master of the waves, while France could not be matched on land. Likewise, I see America ruling the waves as they have uh, been for the last century. While China is building out their navy, uh, it is at the moment untested. <clears throat> and that's another key thing, is uh, countries only go to war when the outcome is uncertain, which is kind of interesting. Because uh, if you know you're going to lose, you don't declare war. And if you know you're going to win, you generally don't have to declare war because the person that <clears throat> is going to go against you uh, won't do things to instigate you. It's only when power dynamics are close and it's kind of a question as to who's actually the top dog that uh, conflict occurs because it's the only way to sort out uh, the pecking order, as, as it were. <clears throat> Uh, a good example of this is, like, if you're going to try to fight someone, like, sometimes you run across somebody who's so much bigger, you're like, uh, I'm just going to, we already know the outcome of this, we don't have to, to fight kind of things. And uh, sometimes there's someone so, so much smaller that you're like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to fight you kind of thing. Uh, it's, but, like, there's that, those times where you're you're pretty close to parity, you know, it's not clear, could I take this guy, could I not take this guy? It's, um, and those are the moments where, uh, conflict arises and nation states operate much the same way so um to that point 
Uh, while China is building out their navy, uh, it is a it is at the moment untested. France may. France's main weakness during the Napoleonic era, uh, when it came to its navy, was the admirals who were cowards and poor commanders. <clears throat> um, I just finished reading uh, the ri the rise of Napoleon Bonaparte, and one of the key aspects that kind of came up in regards to the navy constantly is um, him wanting to get the navy to get off their butt and do something, and they would never do it, and they just always sit in port, or they'd see a, a <clears throat> British uh, naval uh, vessel, and they would uh, run for the hills and, and uh, bounce back and, and just do anything to avoid a conflict at all costs, uh, even though on paper their navy was superior. And so that's something to uh, kind of consider. They had, they had uh, better ships, but they, their crews weren't as well trained and um, things like that. And we've seen over history how that can make a huge difference. Uh, you can, one of the reasons that Europe was able to conquer much of the known world during the 1800s. There was a technological differentiation between some of those places, but in some places, the technology difference wasn't that great, but their, the organizational structure of the military and how to utilize the weaponry was much more sophisticated and advanced in Europe because of the uh, centuries of fighting that had occurred that refined those uh, skill sets down into a very usable um, factor where that didn't happen in a place like China, uh, going back to like the Opium Wars and stuff like that, um, because China should have been able to beat Britain uh, when that kicked off. That might be another interesting way place to compare uh, the current uh, thing is China uh, versus Britain in terms of Opium Wars. But uh, <clears throat> from my limited knowledge of that uh, situation, China was very weak and very corrupt at the time. And yes, China does have every country has corruption issues. China's just more willing to acknowledge it than most countries, um, especially when it's uh, really bad, which is kind of interesting. Um, and, but Xi has been working on getting that fixed. Um, how the the fixing that he has do it, has done hasn't, I don't think, been truly tested yet uh, in terms of uh, a conflict or, or, or something, but uh, overall it seems to be uh, working from what I've, I've seen. So, uh, but that was at the very end of the uh, Qin Dynasty, uh, Q-I-N, uh, and so they were, th that was a, a dynasty that was kind of fading, and uh, currently the current Chinese model, you could say, you know, because they started the development of communism back in the 50s, it's, you know, it's been like 70 odd years, Maybe it's kind of on its its waning aspect, but I so far the dynamism dynamism of China at the current past 20 to 30 years, I think has shown uh, great strength. Yeah, they got some hurdles to come over overcome. Every country does, uh, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, like the this current financial collapse that we're going to go through, people think they're going to wipe out China, but uh, America uh, went through the Great Depression and put it in its weak spot, and then it ended up taking over as the dominant uh, political force <clears throat> post-World War II on the back of that uh, financial collapse. So uh, it's not necessarily... We'll see We'll see what happens with uh, China and stuff like that. Um, and there's a lot of question marks there, but we're not going to get into that today. Um, so <clears throat> uh, it's interesting. So 
I have no idea how the Chinese admirals, going back to the France versus uh, China example, I have no idea uh, what the chi how the Chinese admirals act uh, or if they would act like France's. My gut feeling is that they wouldn't act like France's because uh, one of the key tenets of Chinese culture is saving face and it's a shame culture. And I don't think you could get away with the insubordination that the French generals got away with back in there because culturally it just wouldn't work. Um, there'd be too much shame and they'd be forced to leave the position uh, out of uh, shame and not being able to hold the standard that is expected of them uh, in with the, the Confucius way of thinking about things. Uh, so I don't see that. Uh, in fact, the most apt comparison would probably be the World War II Japanese Navy. Uh, but I don't know the inner workings politically. I know there's some political stuff, but I don't know kind of the mindset and mentality of the Japanese Navy. I have some understanding of stuff, but I'll uh, just let you guys know. Uh, the Japanese Navy was definitely competent, uh, but it did create over elaborate plans. One thing that I've seen out of China um, is that uh, is that I have not seen them... Okay. So far, I have not seen anything to indicate that Chinese, the Chinese are stuck on the Sun Tzu way of war that relies on deception uh, almost to a fault. And that was one of the issues that Japan had during World War II. They wanted to use de deception at all costs, and they fell into the trap of uh, fancy fails. Uh, basically, simple is always the best way to go. Um, but China is also very has a very strong um, history of large engineering projects, which we will get to. Uh <clears throat> Well, they do, uh, because obviously Sun Tzu is a great Chinese thinker, um, so while they do lean on this when you look at their political decisions, uh, the decision around Taiwan is a good example of this, <clears throat> um, where they did a lot of the military actions but never actually invaded when Nancy Pelosi went over there. So that's that's a good example of kind of um, the Sun Tzu way of doing things, the Belt and Road Initiative, which we'll also get into a little bit later, uh, is another Sun Tzu-ism uh, that you can kind of see in the... Chinese political uh, philosophy, but um, it it doesn't, when it comes to military force, they are much more willing to be, well, I, I maybe this is a bit of a claim, but um, they're not trying to be super underhanded and, and deceptive and trying to avoid conflict at all costs. I mean, they're still trying to prepare themselves as best as they can, but... Um, it's, it seems like they know how to when to be fancy and when to try to do all that elaborate planning stuff and when to keep it simple and just hammer forward and uh, do the straightforward thing that you know what has to be done and what needs to be done and you just need to put your, your nose to the grindstone kind of thing. Uh, and so I think China, better than Japan, has balanced out that uh, probably because a lot of that thinking and, and mentality came from China originally and then Japan um, Usually when an ex idea gets exported, it always gets distorted by the people that are adopting it. And so um, it ended up a little bit different in how the Japanese interpreted those types of teachings versus how the Chinese interpreted it. <clears throat> uh, so while they uh, do lean on Sun Tzu's way of war, uh, they understand that fancy fails and they keep their plans realistic. This could trace back to their roots of large engineering feats like the Great Wall as much as... Uh, as the Great Wall, which is about as close to modern military logistics, uh, which is about, which is very similar to how a modern military logistically works. Um, and so, if you compare that to how the uh, classical engineer, uh, classical Chinese en 
engineered things. It was conducted, uh, sorry. The way China used to build and major engineering projects when it came to uh, the Great Wall, and I think they re they changed the flow of the Yellow River and maybe the Yangtze. I don't know if that's that might be the same river. Um, and so you had like these major engineering uh, construction projects with millions and of people all working and and all the logistical complications that went into that. That is is something that culturally China is very good at doing and is still good at doing. Uh, you can kind of see that with a lot of the dams that they've set up. Uh, there was the Great Green uh, something or other that they're going to build. They built a whole bunch of uh, high-speed railway. They have uh, their Belt and Road Initiative that they're working on. China is a master when it comes to infrastructure building. And uh, it happens just so happens that that skill set transfers incredibly well to modern military logistics and is one of the core things that is whether you win or lose a modern military conflict because a lot of it is just about mass of arms in a concentrated area over large uh, supply chains. And if the Chinese are good at doing that, then they have a chance, the chance of really being successful in this upcoming conflict. <clears throat> uh, going back to the American side, a question mark... Uh, is how competent is the U.S. Uh, Navy admirals? We have seen that the Army uh, fall into a wokeism, but I can't recall any Navy officers or admirals that are falling for this level of convergence. Uh, going back to the Napoleonic era, Britain's admirals during the Napoleonic era were extremely competent and daring. One could argue that Admiral Nelson, uh, who uh, was the Napoleon of the sea, <clears throat> and he was the one that basically destroyed... He ended up dying, I think, in this battle, if, it's, if I'm thinking of the right admiral. Uh... There was a battle right off the southern tip of uh, the Iberian Peninsula, basically, or Spain has, uh, Strait of Gibraltar, and um, he dies in this battle, but they win the battle, and they, they basically wipe the French Navy, and the French Navy is, uh, can no longer uh, stand <clears throat> the, the British Navy, and, and now there's this clear divide of uh, England rules the waves, and uh, France the the... Uh, land, because Napoleon is obviously still a brilliant general, but like the stuff, the daring uh, moves that Nelson pulled off was incredible. Things like flying in at this really risky uh, direction and, and dodging all of these uh, uh, bays and coasts and stuff like that, uh, and just so he could he could catch um, the French admirals off guard because it was basically the illogical direction to come from because it was super high risk but because it was super high risk he knew well okay they're probably not guarding it and i can sneak in and i can i can uh, surprise them and get really up close in their grill and unload all my cannons and blow up all their ships which he did uh when uh napoleon was down in egypt and he really messed up his plans down there because he couldn't get any um ships to supply him while he was down there uh so that was one of the interesting. Uh, the question remains, does America have admirals and other commanding officers that are uh, their Napoleonic Britons, the equivalent of those in Britain during the Napoleonic era? <clears throat> it is hard to know from an outside perspective because I don't know any admirals or uh, anything in the U.S. Navy. Ultimately, though, it's hard to see America losing control of the sea. Uh, you know, we, we might lose some stuff here and there. We, we might not be able to force project our carrier groups with... Uh, the 
uh, anti-ship missiles and submarine force that China has, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we lose control. But that controls a, you know, maybe 200-mile radius off the coast of China, and the rest of the, the seas, they don't have the Navy, the Blue Water Navy, to control and fight uh, America for. And so uh, I don't see... I see America still controlling basically all the shipping, the sea shipping lanes. Uh, that leaves the land, uh, and simply an alliance of Russia and China gives the majority uh, control of the Eurasian landmass uh, to the China and its allies. Then you also consider that places like Kazakhstan, Mongolia is going to be on their side because they're sandwiched between Russia and uh, China. Um, so a lot of the stands, Afghanistan, a lot of those are on their side. Uh, Turkey might end up on their side because they're, that's a key belt and road thing that'll cut right through there. Um, and they might become a cornerstone of trade again. That used to be, uh, back when it was Byzantium, that used to be a, a huge trade hub. <clears throat> but, uh, once some other, uh, sea routes were opened up, it dropped off in terms of its, uh, power and influence and that, and Byzantium also had issues with corruption and other things that led it to fall to the Turks, and who are now uh, the ones that are in Turkey. Uh, came the Ottoman Empire, now Turkey. Uh, Uh, considering considering the sheer manpower difference and industrial uh, material output difference as well, I don't see how China doesn't dominate Eurasia. Uh, one major X factor for China is the Belt and Road System. Uh, back in the Napoleonic era, shipping was all but limited to sea travel. Napoleon tried to circumvent this with the Continental System, but sea transport was so much more efficient uh, that uh, it was so much more efficient to trade by sea than it was overland. Uh, because you had to use, uh, back then you, you were basically limited to, uh, transport wagons and, uh, canals and canals. I mean, I get that like building a railroad and stuff like that is a, a construction project, but canals, I gotta imagine are very, uh, that's probably about the same in all honesty. Um, the new Silk Road is, uh, still battling sea transport as the most efficient, uh, model, but it creates an infrastructure to circumnavigate uh, or to circumvent the sea should that be needed. Uh, there is a major difference between the Napoleonic times as the continental system lacked three major factors. One was the infrastructure to make uh, land-based transportation worthwhile. <clears throat> so while Napoleon uh, kind of demanded that everybody not trade with China or if, not, not every, that nobody should trade with Britain, uh, there was no uh, road system or canal system to support that. Uh, Second was that the infrastructure existed... Oh, I just got to my next point. Uh, existed uh, that even if the infrastructure existed, the means to transport across land was limited uh, to wagons and canals. Uh, comparing those to the highways and rail of today, and it really pales in comparison, uh, even with the advent of the super cargo carriers and with the mass amount of cargo that can be transported with one uh, shipping, uh, one ship. The last major point is that China is the manufacturing center of the world. This is probably the most important factor. While shipping overseas <clears throat> might be cheaper if the only option is to buy the part you need uh, comes from China uh, over a land transport system, you will take it as as there is no alternative. Compare this to the continental system, and France uh, lacked a lot of leverage to enforce it because Britain was the world's manufacturing powerhouse back then. Well, free trade ultimately weakened their economic and political positions uh, which both France, with which both Britain and France seem to understand on an intuitive level, 
buying imports is always the cheaper option or not cheaper is always the easier option than spending decades building up your own in industry so places like uh russia who weren't industrialized at the time uh turkey well i don't think turkey was part of the system um <clears throat> but a lot of the uh german states especially since uh industrialization one of the benefits of industrialization is concentration of manpower and stuff like that and because of all the german states there's a lot of tariffs running through that was another factor is um you had all these german states and uh basically there would be all these tariffs that ran through and I, I actually this if i remember correctly e michael jones talked about how napoleonic era is one of the things that spurred on uh german unification because uh all the german states all of a sudden couldn't just tear all the princedoms uh uh is it princedom principality all the principalities uh couldn't put up tariffs all over the place and so <clears throat> trade was able to flow and industry was be was allowed to build in Germany more because you couldn't profitably make things in the center of Germany and ship them to the coast to then ship them across the seas because of the amount of tariffs it would hit, it would become way too expensive. And so German unification uh, fixed this problem. It's kind of one of those balances that you got to figure out of uh, how much free trade do you want, how much unification do you want. Um, and you know, you could keep it at the state level, but then things are going to be a lot more expensive and you're not going to be able to concentrate uh, complex uh, industrial level uh, programs and <clears throat> and companies, I guess. Whereas, you're, but you're going to have more sovereignty, you're going to have uh, more uh, community, national fervor, I guess. The other side is you get more economic power and more economic mass kind of going for you, but uh, there's more homogenization. There's, uh, you lose some of your identity. You know, it's it's like moving from identifying with the state you grew up in versus identifying with America. Um, the same kind of idea. <clears throat> uh, while free trade ultimately weakened their economic and political uh, positions, which both France and Britain seem to understand on an intuitive level, buying imports is always easier than spending decades building up your industry. So maybe the Sino-American War will uh, come to blows, and I see it more likely to come to blows than the Cold War, <clears throat> than the Cold War was. Uh, but I see it looking a lot like the Napoleonic Wars, where the two sides uh, are basically staring at each other from across the sea, with both sides unable to directly affect the war. And so what will happen is America will get places like India and Japan and stuff like that to declare war. It'll look a lot like kind of how America is playing the Ukraine conflict right now. And um, interestingly, the, the amount of obtuseness that America has been showing recently is uh, very similar to how uh, Britain acted back during the Napoleonic era. So that's some, another factor to keep in mind with all of these different um, things that are going on. I think there will, if, if it does kick off, the conflict kicked off. Uh, that's why I think it'll be different than the Cold War, because the Cold War was a bunch of proxy wars, and yeah, like America and Russia were fighting, but it was like they were kind of going behind each other's back, and they never wanted to directly uh, uh, fight each other. I think the Chinese-American conflict, they will directly fight each other to a certain extent, but it will be through proxies. So it'll be like you'll have American troops on the ground, but it'll be like in India. It'll be in, I, I don't, maybe J China will try to take Japan. We'll see. Um, but it'll be like in, in those places. And I don't think either 
party is actually going to fight a conflict on their home soil. It'll it'll be a, a conflict that they're fighting, but they're always fighting on the soil of other countries, which, again, is uh, basically a lot of the Napoleonic Wars were fought all through uh, the German states and on the German soil, and rarely, if ever, the major belligerents of Russia and Austria and Britain um, did they ever have uh, conflicts happen on their soil. Uh, they, they basically happened in the the German states, and they happened in Italy, as where a lot of the conflict. And then, obviously, Napoleon didn't march into Russia at one point, and it ended in uh, disaster. But that was... Um, that, that, that was the exception in the war, not the rule, in the conflicts. <clears throat> uh, so that kind of summarizes that. Hopefully you guys found that interesting. Um, if you are interested in listening to me on other platforms, I am on uh, BitChute, I am on YouTube, I am on, uh, if you prefer audio, I'm on Podbean and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, basically where you can get all the podcasts. Uh, if you look me up under Upchuck McDuck, it should come up, or you can look me up under, according to Andrew, uh, one of those two should get you what you need. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, like and comment if you guys found it interesting and share it with anybody that you think would enjoy it. Have yourselves a good day.